Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Back again in the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast. By the way, that's really, the name is awesome, but it's hard to say without sounding like Sex God. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, which I, maybe it's a Freudian it, slip. It, it, it could be. And, you know, I think we, we probably get a guy, a lot of guys looking for porn <laughs> that, that they stumble upon the podcast. Check out the Sex God chaos. Yeah, yeah. Sec, the Sex God. There's chaos. definitely a comma there. <laughs> sex God <laughs> chaos. Right? That's right. <laughs> Yeah, but hey, the porn guys, it'd probably be good for them to oh, yeah. stumble on our podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, what I love is our listeners are hearing, this is what it's like every time we're together. You it's know, just it, about ridiculous. Yeah, even when fun. we're trying to be serious. Like yeah. those those it, moments where things are serious make me nervous. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, so today what we've got rolling out as an episode, uh, back. we, we should call, the, call this episode Back by Popular Demand. There's no doubt. No doubt about it. <laughs> about it right so uh we've invited uh, eva back into the studio uh, pre-recorded this conversation uh with her because as we have discovered she's probably the most well-boundaried person in america <laughs> there's i absolutely yeah. yes <laughs> yeah. i mean there are therapists uh in our area that they refer people to eva to work on boundaries uh, yeah i believe it yeah i believe it yeah yeah, yeah. this conversation uh, that we recorded though was uh i I use this word maybe too much, but it really applies here. Completely fascinating for me because we're discussing something that uh, the culture in a lot of ways hates, but also has embraced and this big word labels, you know, and I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but in my experience, when I try to label someone, there's immediate resistance to that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a label can be very descriptive. I mean, we love labels on products because they help us investigate the product, what's in it, uh, how, what, how it's going to affect us. But when we start putting labels on ourselves, we get in a little bit of trouble and we definitely don't like it. But they can be helpful. Uh, yeah, you know, in psychobabble world, you know, we have to, you know, do some diagnosis of something. And, uh, well, I just, that, that's the part I just don't like because... Um, you know, sometimes it fits and sometimes it's like, it's just pretty obvious. Um, but a lot of times it, it really doesn't. Um, and it could be an amalgamation of different disorders or, or, or it's not always anxiety, uh, clear cut anxiety, it's depression, it's both and, I mean, there's just all this and, and it, 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 it's just a little bit, um, uh, frustrating because, even when people get the label, well, now, you know, I'm bipolar. And I have people come into my office and like, hey, you know, I just want you to know I'm, I'm bipolar. And they've got that on their intake form or something. And I just go, look, I want you to talk about that with your doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get your medication. And you deal with that there. But in here, you're just going to be Bubba. You know, we're going to talk right. about you and not your label. Um, and certainly in the world that we work in, um, man, the, the labeling, it can be good because sometimes it just gives us a framework, right? There you go. And it's just the idea that like Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. I think, you know, if we're viewing labels from a correct point of view, it isn't who I am as much as it is maybe what I'm doing or how I'm participating, 
uh, especially relationally. So this conversation, I think, is going to be so helpful for our listeners in trying to understand, okay, can I accept this descriptor of how I'm participating in relationship with other people? And once that acceptance happens, Eva just does such a great job of saying, okay, good, that's step one. (laughs) Step two is what do we do with that? And I think that's a question all of our listeners are asking, especially the ones that would click on a a podcast called Sex, God, and Chaos. (laughs) What do I do with this now? Eva just does such a great job of helping us together answer that question. So without further delay, here is Eva discussing labels. It's good to be back with you, Roan. I'm going to try the uh, encouraging friend thing, see how that works. Gosh, that, you know, that'd be different for a change. Yeah, it yeah. would be. I don't know. I'm just, it feels strange, strange to validate you Gosh. because it's like we're going to create a monster. Well, you know, Eva says that all the time too. It's like, I think her job is, you know, she she keeps me grounded, right? Yeah. She she reminds me of she's <laughs> reality. Like the, you know, back in the Roman times and the conquering heroes would come back in to the Colosseum and they had the little guy in the back of the chariot um, whispering, thou art but a man, thou mm. art but a man. That, yeah. That's Eva's job and yours <laughs> in my life. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I that's need right. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all, we all need each other. I think that's like the ba- one of the basic premises of this entire podcast. Is <laughs> that's like, it. Hey, everyone, we need each other because there's certain parts of I you. I need that. Yeah, that are really crummy. <laughs> <laughs> and you need your friends and people that love you to remind you, hey, don't go there. Yeah, don't go don't there. do that. Don't, what is wrong with you? Don't do that. I love that phrase that we talk about all the time. Hey, I'm doing it again. Yeah. I'm doing it again, right? So, uh, well, we're happy to have uh, Eva back in the studio with us to record another episode. Yes, it is always good to sit with my, my life partner, my yes. business partner, my life partner, my podcast partner. Your fun partner. My fun part. my travel partner. Your yeah, adventure partner. That's it. It's really wild, yeah. like, how much life you guys actually share together. And then when people hear your story, they're like, no way. Oh, yeah. No way it started like that, you know, <laughs> uh, which is very hopeful. I think the, the fact that you guys have been so honest about just the, the rough beginnings of how everything went down. And one of my favorite things to think about in relation to uh, the story that you guys tell is Eva going to your house and getting a beer out of the fridge. <laughs> yeah, I just love that. I, was, it probably never happened, but that's the way you tell it. Well, he loves to, you know, he embellishes. Yeah. No, <laughs> wait a minute. It's rigorous honesty. No, I would have I would have been very uncomfortable doing you that. You were 15. I would was, never have was, gone into his refrigerator. It was got, Miller Ponies. Well, so that may have Miller been. Miller Ponies. Not out of your refrigerator. No, mm. my mother gave you one. You didn't <laughs> well, have that to. that may be true. That could be true. Yeah. Oh, so fantastic. Yes. So, um, yeah, just such a huge journey. And I think we, we don't talk about this enough, but in relation to this, the topic of God and chaos and our and our sexual journeys that we just don't talk about, um, isolation, relational connection, all this stuff happens over the course of a journey. It's not in moments or minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lot of stuff stacked together, and the stuff that happened before impacts the stuff that's happening now. And so to, to teach people and to teach ourselves, really, through conversation that things happen in an arc, you know, it's not necessarily a straight line and uh, everybody's not on the same arc at the same time. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what it's like to go through a process of being in relationship with someone who's sexually broken, 
we've recorded an episode before of like, well, how does that affect? What does that do? And they were kind of granular categories. And I think that was a very helpful episode. This episode, we're going to zoom out a little bit and talk about labels, which can be very scary mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Don't label me. Don't label me. Mm -hmm. But also labels can be incredibly helpful because they help you. A big word in our field is locate. We got to locate where you are. Right. So we're asking the right questions and trying to solve the right issues. So this episode, we're going to talk about the different labels or the phases at a meta level that someone who's been betrayed goes through. Fair enough description? Yes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the labels, um, I mean, really on both sides of the fence, um, you know, I uh, always say, you know, I've got two certifications and I've got, you know, in, in sex addiction, uh, you know, masters in counseling and all that good stuff. Uh the, the, the you know, CSAT certification, certified sex addiction therapist, um, and then uh, clinical, certified uh, clinical sex addiction specialist. Uh, and I are one, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I always say I just don't like the term. Not because somehow I'm labeled as a sex addict. I've been talking about my sex addiction um, you know, pretty early on in my recovery, uh, I, and I think that was just, that was a God piece. Uh, I think that was, you know, God kind of called me to begin to talk about it because in 1990, nobody was talking about it, and I was not the only one uh, dealing with it. And and the, the thing about it being, when we say sex addiction, um, you know, it conjures up images of like, you know, somebody, a guy in a trench coat, driving around in an ice cream van, you know, going to playgrounds. Um, and that's just not really what it is. And then, you know, when we talk about addiction, you know, drugs and alcohol, uh, you know, they, you know, like physically alter the chemical composition of your brain and, 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 uh, and it affects the body uh, and it, it'll destroy both. Um, whereas with, with, you know, sex and porn and these things, there's a definite brain effect. Uh, however, the brain can heal. Um, and, um, it, and when a partner hears sex, a sex addict, there's a hopelessness that comes with that. And what I found in doing this work and even in my own journey um, with the acting out, it's really more of kind of a binge and purge cycle. It's not a waking up every day like I'm going to go you know, do this or whatever, and every waking moment is consumed by that. Uh, it's certainly compulsive, um, and it, it's it, there's there's patterns. Um, but with like you know uh, somebody that's a crackhead, you know when he wakes up in the morning, if he's been asleep, you know he he's only thinking about one thing, and he will lie, cheat, steal, rob, murder. He he's got to go get that crack. Um, and this just doesn't work that way. Uh, and you can take drugs and alcohol and put that back on the shelf, whereas with this, our sexuality is part of who we are. And I can't separate that and put it on the shelf. Um, and so that's why we talk about this being uh, a multifaceted problem. Um, and there's soul issues, there's, there's distorted thinking issues, uh, faulty belief system, boundary failure. There's so much connected to it. And um, it, 
you know, just to say, okay, it's an addiction, um, I think is 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 kind of a mislabel. Um, and when in reality, it's much more of a, a, a distress reduction behavior, uh, an illegitimate coping mechanism uh, that was figured out very early in our lives because it works highly, it's very, it's highly effective. It's like a surgeon with a laser scalpel to numb, to medicate, to escape hurt, pain, feelings, and emotion. And so we get under this emotional distress, and then, you know, the brain kicks in and says, okay, I know it works. And so there's a compulsive nature to it, but addiction may be kind of a misnomer in some ways. Mm, What an explanation. And, and so and I know Eva, you know, in, in working with partners on the partner side of the fence, uh, we, we've talked about the labels and, and kind of the evolution uh, in our field of um, when we first, when you first started your journey. Right. Um, I mean, the term sex addiction, he was a sex addict, scared me to death because it, it, it felt like, I mean, the story in my head was that he had no control over his um, sexual thoughts. Uh, he didn't have any control over um, whether he was going to act out or not. Um, that's what it felt. That was the story in my head. That felt really hopeless to me. Um, and on the partner side of the fence, I mean, in 1990, the term for the partner was she was codependent. Um, he or she was codependent. And then in the late 90s, the term co-addiction, she was a, he or she is a co-addict who is in a relationship with uh, a sex addict. That was the, the label. And then now, presently, uh, the term is betray- the partner goes through be- betrayal trauma. Now, me personally, I connect with, can connect with all three of those terms mm. in my own life. Uh, but what really fits the most for me and for many, many partners is the betrayal trauma. I could really see my codependency in in relationship with Roan and relationship with many with with other people as well. Uh, not having the ability to say no, more of a more of a people pleaser, needing the acceptance and love of other of others. Uh, kind of set me up for some of those codependent ways instead of being well-boundary, a well-boundary person. I like to say de- today, for me, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Mm. <laughs> Boy, I like that. Hang on, let me write that down. Except, I, I like it too, except when she says it to me. Yeah. 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 You, you guys have one of those marriages right? no is a complete sentence. Well, yeah, actually, no. actually, it's hell no. For hell, me. hell no. Yeah, yeah. Hell it's no. just no for others, but for me, it's hell no. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, um, and, and then I could also connect, though, with uh, the co-addiction, not necessarily to Roan as a person, but more the relationship, becoming really preoccupied with the relationship, wanting the relationship at all cost to myself. Like I would abandon myself in order to keep peace, to keep um, the relationship going. Mm. So again, I needed to be, become a very well-boundaried person. Um, and betrayal trauma right? The whole goal is to become a very well-boundaried person. This is what I will accept. This is what I won't accept. 
Yeah, that's a tough shift to be able to make, though, to uh, what you're describing. I've had a lot of this in my life as well uh, with that codependence. I'm only okay if you're okay. Uh-huh. And if you're okay, then I'll make myself okay. Right. In some mm. way, in some way. But being able to break that to say, even in a marriage relationship, which religion does a terrible job because they just throw, they throw the Bible verse about the sun. Like oh. don't, don't let the sun go down. Mm, and mm. it's like, wow, well, everything's got to resolve in 24 hours if that's what that verse actually means. <laughs> and experientially, I just haven't seen that occur. Mm-hmm. The, the more acute and the deeper the history of the problem, uh, that's probably another discussion for another day. But to be able to say in these sorts of uh, relationships that are binding, we've made this, uh, the religious word for it would be covenant. Agree- we've made an agreement. We have mm-hmm. a contract, you know, uh, to say I'm okay even if you're not okay, mm-hmm. that feels a little bit like betrayal. Like I'm betraying back, but actually what you're describing, it's a very healthy posture. That's being well-boundaried. Right, right. And see, when there's intimacy in a relationship, he can be, he, he may be in a terrible place, but if he lets me know and gives me more of the backstory, like this is, this is how I'm feeling, this is what's going on in my life, and it's because of this Mm. And if there's a lot of communication, intimacy in a relationship, it has nothing to do with me. But that lack of intimacy, that lack of uh, communication between two people can set up some codependency, right? We're walking on eggshells trying to figure out, is, is something, did I do something? I'm not sure. You know, all that. Well, you know, just our culture and certainly church and, you know, these different things are such a setup for all this. Um, I think of, you know, the Jerry Maguire movie, you know, You Complete Me. I mean, I mean, that's just one example. There's there's thousands of those, Uh, you know, in church, you know, sermons get get preached on, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And they're they're taking it out of context and and certainly oh pastors don't do that no 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 no. Uh -uh. so yeah good gosh but you know okay well you know Jesus said that but Jesus also said uh, you know when they ask him what's the greatest commandment well he goes pretty simple love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and you know that second one it's like the first one love others as you love yourself. Wait a minute, Jesus, like, love myself, but deny myself. I, I, and so we just, we miss all of what Jesus is talking about because so much of what Jesus talked about every time he spoke was about boundaries. Oh, and yeah. Jesus said no left and right. Um, I mean, it's like, hey, Jesus, come over here. And he's like, no, I'm going over here. I mean, if you if you look at it from the context or just from the paradigm of boundaries, it is it is amazing how I mean Jesus was obviously the most well boundaried human being that ever walked this planet, and I mean nothing deviated him from his purpose, his mission. Um, they tried left and right, and man, he he knew who he was. What did he? He, he knew what he was about. And he did what he had to do, and that's a well-boundary person. We solve that by not talking about it, though. I love asking this question to Christians, as a Christian, asking them, hey, how do you explain all the people that Jesus did not physically heal? 
yeah. like yeah. that he walked right past. Yeah. How do you explain that? And you just see the wires cross and then, zzz, zzz, you know, <laughs> uh, but, and then there's this really uh, explicit example of Jesus healing someone. And that person says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, yeah. I'm leaving. You stay here, which is, yeah. wow, it's, wow, it's, it, you know, uh, I haven't heard a sermon on it, but it's in the Bible. Oh, no, you won't, won't, you won't hear that. You won't yeah. hear, yes, you know, uh, sermons on serving and uh, yeah, giving, sacrificing, serving, and yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, all yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So we're, a little bit of what we're talking about here, I love the contrast that's being described, uh, Eva, that you're bringing up, is the difference between, like, that self-soothing, uh, which that codependence can be very soothing in a lot of ways, and self-care. Yeah. That's a completely different thing, and I think if we're honest, which it's our podcast, so we can be. Uh, self-care, that's a realm that we're not taught about very often. Right, right? I agree. You know, the enmeshment with, within the family and the roles that we're playing and all those things that, yes. that we talk about, uh, that doesn't lend us towards, hey, I'm dysregulated, I need to participate in some self-care here. We go back to coping mechanisms that are self-soothing, uh, which is, as great as that phrase sounds, it can be very damaging. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But because you're trying to get something from another person that may not have it to give, mm. right? There's so much truth mm. in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. could you stepping out of the the spouse or the partner language here? You could actually apply that to your caretakers, the people that raised you. You know, you're asking them to give something to you that they didn't have. They to didn't give. have to give. Yeah, that's right. a real place of freedom. It I've, is. I've noticed in everyone's story who's done this deep work. That realization, painful in the beginning, mm-hmm. but becomes a real place of freedom. I know it has right. been for me. Yeah. You know, and in our own journey, mine and Roan's, um, he didn't really have uh, a lot of empathy for me and, and what had happened to us. He had a lot of shame and, he, and guilt was mixed in there. Uh, but what I would experience from him uh, early on was that he would go more victim than really know how to empathize. I really think empathy is more of a last stage in the recovery process. Uh, He didn't have the tools to really connect uh, with what had happened. I mean, he felt shame and guilt, and he was under great conviction uh, because of it and wanted freedom. I mean, I totally get that. But he really didn't have it to give to help me. Uh, as much as I wanted it from him, trust me, I did. But he would end up just doing more damage to me. Yeah, it's, you know, growing up and, I mean, and you know, addiction, the breeding ground uh, is, is growing up in dysfunctional, in a very dysfunctional home. And certainly there's degrees of dysfunction, um, you know, the, I mean, every every home there's dysfunction. Um, and, I mean, I'll... Uh, all you got to do is just, you know, go read the Old Testament of the family stories, right? I mean, it's just, it's all there. Uh, it was dysfunction junction. Man, you read Genesis and you're like, I cannot <laughs> believe God included this. I know. Uh, that, I mean, this is wild. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it it's there uh, from the beginning. And then, um, you know, when you grow up and just in my family, you know, we say we put the fun in dysfunction and um, it was just, you know, I had no structure, no boundaries, no curfew, um, no parental figures. Um, and so I like there's 
and that's a, not that story, but it's just typical where it's some dysfunctional family system and you don't learn the skills on like how to even deal with your own emotions uh that you even have emotions i mean you can have happy ones right uh (laughs) those are acceptable yeah you can talk about those (laughs) right but boy you know nothing negative any kind of negative life event mm, boy we avoid that you know you go drink or medicate however you medicate you you figure that out and so like and then when discovery happens, um, when all this stuff, you know, um, you know, comes out, um, and, and, you know, there's certainly, there's a sense of freedom uh, on the betrayer side, the addict side, of like, man, all this stuff that I was carrying around is now out, and, and there's, you feel, whew, there's a sense of freedom. Uh, that doesn't mean it's over, doesn't mean it's gone, but because you've been carrying this stuff for so long and now the secret is revealed, it's like you can even breathe. And then you're putting the monkey on the other person's back, right? Because they did not know this. Um, but I had no skills to be able to relate, to be intimate, not sex, to connect, to attach, um, to be able to have empathy. Uh, that just was not present and you know it's like all of these things i mean we should be learning those things that you know developmentally as a child uh in the maturing process not just chronologically aging but emotionally developing that should be like healthy you know (laughs) growing up if you had in the ideal world that none of us live in but you would have had parents helping you along with those types of things but we don't, we get nothing and some less than others. And so then like I've got like an emotionally dysregulated, completely destroyed woman and I'm like a deer in the headlights. And it's almost like you're just in survival mode because I don't have any idea what to do with my own emotions. I'm just discovering those. And then I've got this emotional, emotionally dysregulated creature that's, uh, you know what do you do and so it's it there's a there's a i just i think survival is like i i love her i don't want to be divorced that's not what any of the acting out was about but how do i do this and just totally clueless and so we danced that dance i wanted to but i had no idea of how to be empathetic and that's one reason it's like I did not experience what Eva experienced. Her experience of trauma and discovery trauma was different than mine. I had my own trauma, childhood stuff and all of that, but I did not go through what she went through. And that's why we talk about, and Eva talks about it and encourages it, is for the spouse, the partner, to get engaged with a community, a group, of people that are further along that have experienced that. Yes, we're going the partner's going to heal in community with other partners who've been through it. Now, what Roan could do and learned how to do over time with a lot of help and guidance was really to, you know, validate what had happened, acknowledge what had happened and validate my pain and then reassure me. 
right? And many times I would, ha- th- I knew what I needed to hear, right? He didn't really always know what I needed to hear, but so I would coach, and we we tell that to couples all the time. It's okay to ask for mm. what you need to coach to say, "Hey, this is what I need to hear." When you're ready to say it, and you can say it with empathy, let me know, right? Because I re- the delivery matters, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, I want to loop back a little bit because I think this is, boy, this is so critical with where we are as a culture today. I think victimhood is the water that mm. we're all swimming in. Mm. And uh, so going victim has almost become slang, mm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it would be helpful just to hear like some language, victim language, and then some empathy language. I know, I know that may sound very basic, but I'm the I'm the basic guy in the room. <laughs> so it would be helpful okay. for me to hear like, oh, when I say things like that or my posture is like this, that's a victim posture. This is what empathy looks like and sounds like. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We, we always say anytime you hear the words always, like you always do this, um, it, that's always a signal. If if I'm saying that I've dropped into victim mode, um, if it never, you know, you, you never do this, you've never done that, never, never, and always, I'm drop, I've dropped into victim mode. So those but, absolutes, yeah. Just, and the thing of it is, because those aren't true, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody always does anything, and nobody never does something, and so I've I've got to be able to understand become aware of like what what's my victim language Mm because when you start hearing yourself say this it's like oh my gosh i'm i'm being a victim and i've i haven't met a man yet that wants to be a victim however when we work with what's called the drama triangle the cartman drama triangle um um, that there's three positions victim perpetrator and enabler parent and it's like it, we get couples on these triangles and help them work out an argument. And we always ask them, where do you want to start out? And, like, n- no guy ever wants to go stand on victim. Mm. But every guy that I work with, every man, that's Sitting where in, they're starting. They got a condo there. Oh, they, oh and I'm just like, dude, come on, come on over here. Yep, and yep. You're in this corner. So that's why yep. you say that uh, pouting is a man's superpower. Oh, dude, we just, oh, we'll suck, we'll pout, we'll, we'll go in the corner and suck our thumb. And, <laughs> and like, man, that's going to change something, right? It's, oh, yeah. It's that withdrawal, right? I'm going to shut down. I see. Because well, I don't because know what it sets the partner up to want to rescue. Oh, yeah. To get the, get it meets the, a need. It meets a need in a very unhealthy way. Man, look at that. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that was our dance. You know, Eva would... I was the rescuer, yeah, enabler. It, yeah, <clears throat> she was the parent, uh, enabler parent, and, and, you know, telling me what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And as long as I did, it worked great because I'm over there in that victim corner looking for a mama... You know, Every to, victim needs a rescuer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm looking for a rescuer. Um, and, um, okay, great. And I go along to get along until I don't do something. And then she bounces down to perpetrator and gets angry. And then it's like, oh, gosh, she always does this. You know, <laughs> she's always trying to control me and she never does this. I mean, I just victim. Yeah. And then... Bounce over there after you get a belly full of that. I would volcano, just like, ah, I can't take this. And then, boom, 
go to the corner, suck my thumb, withdraw, shut down. So a victim will get defensive a lot of times. They'll say things like, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to group and I'm doing all this uh, for our marriage instead of saying a well-boundary man is going to say. I love the Eva man voice. (laughs) I wish people could see I'm doing all this. Because she sees it every day. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry for interrupting. That was no. just awesome. Yeah. No. So, uh, but a well-boundary man is going to say something like this. Hey, I'm doing my work for me. I want to be sober. I want to live a life that I don't have the, these crazy thoughts in my head. Mm. And that I'm doing it for me. And I, instead of the message of I'm really doing this for our marriage, or, I'm doing yeah. this because you're making me do this. That's a victim. That's more of a childlike position. Yeah, the quick story here. I, I sat in session. Eva, you, you probably don't even remember this, but you were so poised and sitting in the therapist chair, you know, and all professional, and I'm, I'm on the couch that, like, you just wish the couch would swallow you some, some of these appointments. But <laughs> you, you held your hand up to me, which, like, for me is usually a trigger. It's, and, uh, but when you did, I was like, whoa, this is different. You know, you held your hand up to me and you go, that's not your responsibility. I was like, did I? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> but re- I'm sharing that now in this podcast because that phrase unlocked a lot of stuff for me that was driving me into that victim mode oh, because gotcha. I, would, I would try to fix things and then I couldn't fix them. Uh-huh. And then that's what I would be pouting about because gotcha. uh, in my family of origin, I was the fixer depended on to fix especially emotional issues and, and went about doing that was trying to take that into my marriage. And that phrase, that's not your responsibility was a really a big gift to me because it kept me from pouting all the time, which who wants to be married to a powder, oh, by the way, yeah. it's yeah. gotta be a terrible thing. You know, that's why yeah. my wife's not sitting in this podcast studio right now <laughs> because she knows what it's like to be married to a powder. So that, that victim pouting absolutes, you know, defensive posture, blaming, blaming. Yeah. Ugh. So let's switch over quickly to the other side of it being empathetic it's got to sound almost like the exact opposite, right? It does. It sounds like, hey, I, I just want, want you to know that I realize how much I've hurt you. I get it. I know what has happened, and I just want you to know I'm, I'm with you. I'm fighting for my sobriety, and, you know, I, I'm doing this for me, but it's really because you are worth it. You're mm. worth it, and I want to be a man. I want to be the best partner for you, the best husband for you, and the best father for my children, right? And and I really understand and validate your pain instead of trying to go. When is it going? When are you going to heal? When is this ever going to get over this? When are you going to get over this? <laughs> yeah, the and, presence of that, like I have a desired outcome. You know that empathy, the way you describe it, it sounds like there's a releasing of that. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in this right now. Mm-hmm. This is the work that I'm doing, and I'm not doing it just so that we don't get divorced, or right. just so that my kids don't hate me, or there, you know, there's like always this imaginary. If I can get there, this will all be over and better. And then we're trying to drag the dead mm-hmm. body of, of our betrayed partner all the way across that mm-hmm. finish line, and it, it doesn't matter that they're bleeding out. To be able to, in, in that empathetic posture, to say, I don't know where this is headed, and that's terrifying. 
but I do know how to own at least today. I know how to own where I am right now. That's right. You know, and that's where uh, I'm sorry, you know, it turns into, man, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. those are t- same right. words, different posture. Right. And I really love the phrase, uh, I was so wrong, mm. you know, to, to uh, gaslight you. You know, if I have a new memory of that season of our lives, even today if I were to have a new memory and I were to bring it to Roan, um, what would, how would you respond today, Roan? Yeah, if if that because it has happened. Um, yeah, I wish well, I had one right now for for an example. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Let's, let's keep this hypothetical. Just, no, I mean, yeah, if I theory, had a new theory. today, walking <laughs> walking down the trail, let's just, you and I are out for a walk, and I said, "Hey, I just recently re- had this memory come up." Yeah. Um, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I would probably say something like, "Gosh." You know, I, I, I hate that. Uh, I'm I'm so sorry that that happened. Uh, I really get how much that hurt you. Um, I, I, I understand um, how painful that was. And, you know, that's not the man I am today. And I'm so thankful for the journey we've been on. And um, I'm just I'm just glad that that we're together and, and I'm I'm here with you. And I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to say, and this may seem trite, but that almost sounds like a foreign language relationally. You know? Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Like I kind of went to that. I felt like I was watching a movie. Oh, wow. Because he <laughs> says that all the time. That's really his response many, many times if something comes up. That's crazy. It just sounds oh. wild. You know, I'm just taking the posture of our listeners, like, because I had a memory come up, and the first thing I'm thinking is, Oh my gosh! Panic, you know, it's, panic it's, it's inside out, and <laughs> anger is about to take the joystick. You yeah, know, it's yeah. like everything gets just lit up. You know, but for you to be able to say, "All right, I'm receiving that," and I can respond in a particular way, even your language and your tone said, "I care." Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I care about this. Mm-hmm. I care about this. And mm-hmm. the other part of it is, which I love what you guys are pointing out, is I can still, decades later. I yeah. can still own that. Right. And I can yeah. still have the freedom to need to talk about it mm-hmm. if I need to. Yeah. 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 When it, we can now have a conversation that's very healing versus conflict that was destructive. Yeah. God, that's so big. I mean, resentment and reminders that lead to resentment or resentment that leads to reminders. I mean, I feel like we just ping pong. So many of us ping pong between those two things relationally. And that thing that you guys just did behind these microphones is like the the water on that fire to be able to say hey let me try to be empathetic here uh mm-hmm. most people especially men would think well let me just try to be pathetic here <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, the, that's the victim mode. i will be pathetic. i will be pathetic you know? so that you'll rescue me so you'll rescue me you know yeah. like uh, yeah. i'm just glad you're walking with poor little thanks for noticing me you know that kind of thing uh but yeah but just practicing that empathetic posture man what a what a big gift that could be to each other and to think about the things that could emerge in your relationship that have been hidden because it just didn't feel safe to bring that up to the front. What a, what a big gift that could mm-hmm. be. Well, it's just, you know, even the definition of em, em, empathy, empath, is just feeling with. And, you know, it was that, again, for me to be able to do that, that's just, that's a lot of work, a lot of time, and 
practice uh, in doing it. Um, but it is just the simple idea of like, wow, what if I were in her shoes, right? What if I had walked where she walked? Um, and and certainly um, in our work and uh, connection and all the stuff that we've done and, and just years, um, you know, I get the pain that I caused uh, because of what I did. Uh, and I can own that and I can stay in radical ownership, right? Um, rather than go into that victim mode, like, oh my gosh, we've been at this 32 years and you are still bringing this crap up. What when is, are you going to let this go? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Golly. I mean, that, that's like, uh, but you know, even when I say that now, I mean, that, that just even feels foreign to me. Mm, you know, too, awesome. I think uh, we can both, in our when we have conversations, we can both feel such sadness mm. for those people, oh, yeah. for the people that we were, right? Oh, yeah. You know, it makes me want to cry now, even thinking about who we were. Um, just sadness. It right? is. Oh, yeah. And, and I think, you know, the development of empathy for me in my journey, was sitting in groups and listening to other men share their stories and and like oh gosh because you just you, you just hear a lot of pain and you see it and um, and and then you know I think the next level for me um, I mean even I even before we started our practice uh, we would meet with couples uh, in you know um, as kind of lay leaders in our church and celebrate recovery and and I would get to hear the stories from the other side of the fence right not just Eva but I began to hear um, you know other wives spouses um, talk about the pain and the hurt and now of course I sit with it about every day and boy I, that for me that's that has been the journey of like really developing true empathy uh, in this process. We say it often on this podcast, and I think we're probably going to for the life of it. <laughs> What's broken in relationship has to be healed in relationship. That's right. And uh, it's the only way it works. Yeah. And I think with what you guys are describing to say, we can't put all of that relational burden on the other mm -hmm. in the relationship. Mm -hmm. That's just never going to work. Mm -hmm. Although it feels like a really healthy containment strategy. Uh, like we're just going to keep this between us, you know, uh, but putting all of that burden on just one other person. I know. Not a really, not a good strategy. No. And uh, I see, you know, with the groups that I attend and the, uh, the groups that you guys talk about, there's always that moment of fight or flight, you know, when you pull into the parking lot and you're like, am I really about to go public with this? And share this burden with other people. But the freedom that occurs when you walk into a building and you see other people in process, and then when you start to hear their story, you're like, wow, there is a 10 years from now that, yeah. that is hopeful, and I can borrow a little bit of that and take it into the relationship. That's pretty awesome. So the last stage of this that we haven't talked about yet is getting to that partner stage right? Where it's like, hey, we are truly partnering mm -hmm. here. And then we had a brief example of that exchange of empathy, but it's even broader than that, right? Yeah, definitely. So maybe we could take mm -hmm. a second as we're wrapping up our time together today, just to describe 
what do, what does partnership actually look like? Because I remember that the minister said it during the ceremony, uh, but not a whole lot of explaining. When you lit the unity candle. That's right. Like the ring has no beginning and no end. Extinguish like, yourselves and become one. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Well, now we're braiding ropes together, so maybe that's a little better. But uh, Well, I love the, and, and it comes from Dan Allender's book, The Wounded Heart. He has a chapter in there on betrayal trauma. On betrayal, I think, I can't remember the name of the chapter. But in it, he describes what nearness looks like in a relationship and what oneness looks like. And many of us who have had some trauma, some trauma in our lives, we do nearness. We get nearness. It's more of an enmeshed kind of uh, existence mm. with another perfect. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. But oneness is different. Oneness is that we're doing life together. We're not enmeshed. Roan does a lot of things on his own, and I, I do a lot of things on my own. We have mm. different some different interests, but we have the same shared purpose with one another. Uh, we uh, feel like we're more interdependent today than we've ever been, right? Even though we work together, but we're very interdependent in that we even drive in separate cars to the same office. <laughs> I get that. I totally get and that. I to- and I love it so much. I don't feel <laughs> you, enmeshed. I, mean, I feel safer than I've ever felt. I have but, felt like we have oneness with one another yeah. that is healthy. And it is, I love doing life with this man, but I don't have to have him to have a great life. Yeah. I choose him. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I want you, but I don't need you because neediness is dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you even mentioned that we drive in separate cars. I mean, there was a time in our lives when which you would not have been able to do that. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. And that that was like enmeshment um, is what we – because, I mean, we started dating when we were 15, um, <laughs> children. And, and so we just, like – Man, we had such a hard time separating where do I end and you begin. I mean, it was beyond codependency. It was just like enmeshment. And so, you know, the journey is like really beginning to oof, separate that out. and Figure, figure out, it out. Yeah, figure uh, yeah. out who we are. And, um, and then, you know. Just and just living lives where we have no secrets between us. Mm-hmm. There are no secrets whatsoever on a daily basis. Mm. Lots oh, yeah. of communication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oneness isn't, it doesn't sound easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound easy. It sounds like. But it's it, not it hard word. either. Yeah. But yeah. it's not that hard. Once you figure yes. it out. Yeah. Like, uh, uh-uh. Okay, we can do this. We it is, can do it this. is possible. And I think, boy, I just, I just have to say behind Mike, that, that registered with me the, I, I want you, but I don't need you. Yeah. And having this hyper-religious background and having participated in the church, because, you know, we do talk about God on this podcast, but uh, if we could start presenting God that way, I think things would turn inside mm. of a lot of churches because we feel compelled to sell to the people in, in the pews or in the chairs. You know, God needs you. He needs you to go across the world. He, <laughs> he needs you to put that 50 bucks in the plate, you know, and it's like this sense of desperation and codependency, but you just can't find that biblically. And it makes the story so much more beautiful to understand, wait a minute, God doesn't need me. 
He wants me. Yeah. You know, mm, we understand right. that at, at a human level that yeah. one feels better than the other, yeah. you know, but it's developing that courage in our relationship with God and our relationship with our partners to be able to say, wow, I am getting that need met, one of those basic needs of the human heart. I am chosen. Mm. And in those moments where I'm not chosen by the spouse, I'm never not chosen mm. by God. That chosenness is always there. So to be able to operate from a place of strength at all times, that feels pretty cool. I think I may try that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may try. It's, uh, it's, it's much better. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll say just to wrap yeah. out the episode, just like a congratulations to the two of you. Uh, for the work that you've done and the work that you're helping other couples do. And in case we haven't done it in a while, we do need to put one of those shameless plugs in for the book because the book details this process out just so beautifully. And both of your voices are represented in that one text. It's a quick, like two clicks on Amazon. Boom, you got this book and they can dig into the story a little more. Uh, but your vulnerability, your openness with your journey, it's just helping more and more people. And I couldn't be more excited about that. Mm. Oh, well, thank awesome. you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, this is all good stuff. You know, it's fun to do all the life with people you love. There you Amen. go. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com. Thank you.